When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 116. We are recording on January 30th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Hello! What you reading, Jen? Well, I have been, like, everything that (laughs) I'm reading right now is for the show, but also (laughs) I have been reading I Thought It Was Just Me by Brene Brown since November, which is kind of hilarious because it's not a long book. It's, like, very short, but um, I've I've just been, like, picking it up and reading in little bits and putting it down, so I've been reading it for actually three months, and I'm determined to finish it by the end of January. Um, But it's actually, it's her, I want to say it's her first public book and it's all about women and shame and um, like how you can reclaim your brain basically from all of those negative uh, reinforcing things that happen in society and sometimes from our families and all of that good stuff. Um, it's very good. It's very good. I like it a lot. I, I mean, I like Brene Brown though. She's she She is sometimes not my favorite, but mostly she is. And so I will take it. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm reading right now. What about you? I am also still, uh, I'm still listening to an audiobook that I've listen- been listening to for a while. Um, the Winston's War by oh, Max Hastings. Yes. Yeah, which is a biography of Winston Churchill during the World War II years that I'm loving. But anyway, uh, aside from that, that's take, that's, it's like 25 hours. It's going to take me months. So I'm, I've just accepted that. Um, I'm also reading Pitbull by Bronwyn Dickey, which I had never heard of and just stumbled upon in my local indie bookstore. Thank you, Chop Suey. Um, and it was like out on a display. It just came out, I think. Um, no, no, just kidding. It came out. It must have just come out in paperback. It came out in 2016. Anyway, it is, as one would imagine, about pit bulls. Like it's the history of the breed and also a history of dog breeding in general, like how we got to hmm. have the breeds that we have now, which I knew very little about. But you know, you hear like, I don't know, like I have a Rottweiler that was bred since time immemorial to be a guard dog, or I have a whatever that was bred since time immemorial to herd sheep. And most of that is nonsense. Like the the breeds <laughs> that we have them as we have them now are almost all like 200 years old or younger. Like the idea, the concept of dog breeding for like confirmation and looks, like the kind of dogs that you see in dog shows, we just like just invented those. Like they all have links genetically to those other dogs that had actual purposes, (laughs) but like the way that we have them now, that's no, they're just new. It's so interesting. Um, but so it's that. And also with a focus on how pit bulls went from being like beloved family pets to kind of like scary, like the thing, like how we think about them now and how it's super tied to race and class, um, and, uh, the media and generalized nonsense. And I have a pit bull. So I went into this with like a but they're so nice, you know, and everything that people say about pitbulls is garbage. And I was right. And it's nice to be vindicated. Pitbulls are awesome. That's just, there it is, whatever. So that's what I'm reading. I love when facts back up my opinions. 
And not the other way around. Right. I was just going to say. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, um, so we do have a section here for feedback from last week's show. Um, we got lots of recommendations from Sybil, who is a, an insider, you know, on Book Riot Insiders. Um, and she recommended for Brenna, who asked specifically for escapist books with strong female characters, bonus points if they were from India. She recommended The Palace of Illusions, which is by Chitra ban- uh, Banerjee Divakaruni. And for Paul, who was asking for books from books from Haiti or Africa, she recommended We Need New Names, which is by No Violet Bulawayo. And for Lindsay, who was specifically asking for Readalikes for The Time Traveler's Wife, we have a recommendation for Dark Matter by Blake Crouch, which has a very similar elements of supernatural travel in the pursuit of love. So thank you for your feedback. If y'all leave um, comments on the show notes, um, you know, the posts on the site, leaving other recommendations for people uh, from the show, then we will mention them on the show the next week, usually. Um, And so we should probably tell you how the show works if you are new. This is, as I mentioned, a show for personalized reading recommendations. So you can email them to us, your reading recommendation requests, to get booked at bookriot.com. You can drop them in the form at the bottom of the post on the site uh, where we leave the show notes. And this could be anything, like if you need a a reading recommendation for you, for your book club, for a gift... Um, you're traveling somewhere and you want to read about that place. That's like maybe one of the most common questions that we get, which is so interesting. Um, and if your show, if your question is time sensitive, please mention that in the subject line of the email or in the first line uh, of your request if you're using the the form, so that we can try to get to it on time. We might email you back instead of ad- answering the question on the air if your question is extremely time sensitive and we're not going to get to it, or if we've already answered it, we might email you back uh, in that case also. Okay, so let's get rolling. Jen is going to read our first question and tell us about our first sponsor. Indeed. So our first question is from Sarah with no H who says, I'm going on a trip to Morocco in March and I'm looking for some books to get me in the, to read to get me in the mood and help me better appreciate the culture slash history as I travel. I read most genres apart from sci-fi and horror, but would particularly like something in the land of literary slash historical fiction or nonfiction. Even better if it is by a Moroccan author. Thanks in advance. We definitely have some books for you, but first I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert. And I will tell you that on the SFFEA podcast, Sharifa has been raving about this book (laughs) since like before it was even out. Um, So this comes co-signed by Sharifa. It is about a 17-year-old named Alice who has spent most of her life with her mother on the road, uh, sort of always a step ahead of bad luck, which has been biting at their heels. And then Alice's grandmother, who is the reclusive author of a book of very dark fairy tales, dies. Um, she dies on her estate, which is called the Hazelwood. Hello, title reference. Uh, mm-hmm. Alice, like, suddenly Alice's luck gets even worse. Uh, so this is a debut novel. Melissa Albert actually runs the Barnes & Noble teen blog, which is kind of an interesting collection, or connection, rather. Uh, and it is a story that will get you lost in its beautiful writing. Uh, it's about a girl who's searching for her mother in a land that doesn't have any rules, that might be a gateway to a land of dark fairy tales, and those fairy tales are dying to get out. So, if that sounds interesting for you, you should definitely check it out. It's The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. 
I'm just going to keep talking. Um, my pick for you, Sarah, is The Happy Marriage by Tahar Ben-Jaloon, translated by Andre Nafis Sahli. Um, and I actually found it through a post in which Layla Lalami, who Rebecca, or ugh, I don't know <laughs> names today. What is happening to me? So Layla Lalami is the author that Amanda is going to recommend. And I found a post of her recommending some of her favorite authors. So I'm going to drop that link in the show notes for you as well. But The Happy Marriage is a two-part novel. Um, The first part is about a painter who has suffered a stroke and is partially paralyzed. And he is looking back on his marriage um, and writing it down with the help of a friend. So he's created this manuscript of him like reminiscing about his life, but specifically his marriage. And then his wife finds the manuscript and is super mad and is like, I'm going to tell my side of the story. And she's mad at him, and she's mad at the women he cheated on her with. She's basically mad at the whole world. Um, so the first half of the book is the painter telling the story, and then the second half is the wife. Um, I'm, like, not done yet, so I'm still waiting to see how the de- gender dynamics are going to play out. But I will say that this book takes place in a bunch of different cities and regions of Morocco, as well as Paris. The wife's family is from a small village, and the painter's family is from Fez. So there's these like class and regional dynamics as well, and it's very atmospheric. And Lelami recommended him for his playful language, um, and I don't know if the translation really captures whatever the original is, but I will say that I am really enjoying the style. So that is The Happy Marriage by Tahar Ben-Jaloon. Okay, well, as mentioned, I have picked a book by Leila Lalami, and I selected Hope and Other Dangerous Pursuits, um, which is a book about four Moroccan citizens who are leaving Morocco illegally and crossing the Strait of Gibraltar in this functionally like inflatable dinghy (laughs) that is designed to carry eight people but is carrying 30 Um, and they're being smuggled into Spain uh, for various personal reasons and the um, cap captain like can you be a captain of a dinghy I don't know the guy that they paid to smuggle them to Spain stops right off the coast and orders everybody out of the boat to swim to shore and so that's the that's how it opens is you're you're with these four people as they are in this boat and then can or can't swim, um, and you follow them through a series of flashbacks and flash forwards, both to like what happens to them once they make it onto the shore of Spain and are all immediately arrested, um, and like their their fates after that. Some of them stay manage to stay in Spain. Some of them are sent back, um, and what and then you flash back to their lives in Morocco to see what got them to that place. So like the four the four main characters, um, one of them is is. Uh, got a degree in English and he's a really like kind of gentle soul sort of a thing. Um, and he just can't find any work. And so that's why he heads over. Um, Halima is one of the other main characters. She's a woman and a mother of three whose uh, husband beats her and is an alcoholic. And so she takes her kids and runs essentially. Um, and then there's, uh, another guy, I think, yeah, who's married. He leaves his wife and his mother behind so he can go find work. And then Fatin was one of the most interesting characters to me. She's 19, and she's uh, an Islamic fanaticist, like religious fanatic, and she has left um, because she got in trouble for saying... De, de, what am I trying to, not degrading, um, derogatory, bad. She said some bad things about the king. And so she's kind of fleeing for her own safety. Uh, and so you go back and forth between, um, their life, their like new lives as undocumented immigrants in Spain 
and what caused them to leave in the first place. And they come from different spots around Morocco um, and, and different backgrounds, religious backgrounds, and also um, like socioeconomic statuses. So there's like, there's so many different reasons that a person would want to leave. And it's so fascinating, but it's a really great, I think, introduction um, to the kind of current climate of Morocco, maybe. Um, and Lalami is just like, a, I, I, there's nothing magical about the way that she writes. I don't think like you don't ever come out of it. Like that was a great sentence, but you just flow. Like it's so easy to get caught up in, in her writing, which I really appreciate. Like that's really nice. So that's hope and other dangerous pursuits by Leila Lalami. Okay. Question two is from Colby who says, uh, what does Colby say? <laughs> My friends and I have toyed with the idea of starting a book club for years. And I was finally able to corral everyone into a group text to schedule our first meetup. All the details have been decided except for the most important one, which is choosing the book that we will read. My friends believe that because I reached out and organized the event, I should have the responsibility of selecting the first book, and I can't handle the pressure of this first world problem. We're all women in our mid-twenties who are in various stages of our careers and personal lives, but we're all in agreement about the genres we're into, romance, mysteries, thrillers, and travel slash adventure. Any suggestions on how to kick off our book club would be greatly appreciated. Bonus points if these books tackle the awkward quarter-life crisis themes that we all experience in our mid-twenties. Okay, I'm done. Jen, what you got? Okay. <laughs> no more talking. I have a book for you. It is both a quarter-life crisis story and a mystery, and it is The Monsters of Templeton by Lauren Groff. This was her debut novel, and this was, like, when I read this book when it first came out, it was just like, oh, new new novel. Like, who is this person? And you could see even then, like, what a force Lauren Groff was going to be in literature. Um, so this one follows a, a woman, young woman named Willie Upton, who is a PhD student who returns to her, like, very small, almost like claustrophobic hometown after a disastrous affair with her married archaeology professor. Whoops. Um, <laughs> and so she is basically trying to figure out like well boy oh boy like what am I gonna do with my life now um and uh she moves back in with her like formerly hippie now born again mom and um she like in the course of coming home and trying to figure out her stuff she also finds out that there are things about her life and her mother's life that have been lies. Um, her mother told her that her father was like some random commune man, but actually it's somebody in the town. So, and Willie's like, well, I'm an archaeology like PhD student. I will find out the truth about this. Um, and in the course of trying to figure out that, she finds out all kinds of other things about her family and the town. There's also like a dead lake monster. It's like, there's like this weird, like supernatural element to the story as well that adds some sort of it's like a very gothic feeling book it's it's really satisfying to have a a contemporary gothic like this um and yeah like it tackles that just like deep confusion about like I have made some bad choices and now what am I going to do about them and like what is what is my place in my family going to be what is my place in society going to be where am I going to live what am I going to do with myself also it turns out I don't know anything about my family um, I will say this book moves back and forth in time a bunch there's like historical sections uh, to the novel and it can be a little confusing um, but that I think just makes it an even better book club pick because then you can argue about like what's going on in which section so that is The Monsters of Templeton by Lauren Groff Okay, I don't know if I can say this title now that I'm looking at it. Oh. Like, well, we'll find out. Uh, Welcome to the Goddamn Ice Cube is the name of the book. It's by Blair Braverman. 
Um, the subtitle is Chasing Fear and Finding Home in the Great White North. And this is a memoir, a uh, travel adventure memoir. And it opens when Blair is 18. And she's from California, like the, like the deserts of California, but becomes, as a child, becomes kind of obsessed with the North, like the Great White North. Um, and so she leaves as a young adult to go to Norway to like study in Norway. And then, um, for, for a job, like after she gets out of high school, she goes to work as a tour guide on a glacier in Alaska and learns, um, dog sledding. And so she works as a musher, I guess is the right, the tech dog sled driver. I don't know. Um, in Alaska on this glacier for a lot, for like several summers. Um, and between that, uh, between like job times uh, in Alaska, she lives in Norway. Like she takes up residence in Norway in a, in a tiny little like village. Um, and so you follow her as she meets like this, the, the, her Norwegian neighbors are hilarious. <laughs> and uh, along with being like, I don't want to say stereotypical, but like a, you know, a travel memoir in which a young person goes off into the world and discovers themselves by going somewhere physically grueling, uh, which I think is like a genre, like that's a thing. It's not commonly about women though, which is why I really liked this book. It's a, it's about that, but it's also about how hard that is as a woman, not because, you know, she's not as physically tough as a guy and can't handle the dogs or whatever, but because she is a woman alone amongst a a lot of men (laughs) um, in a very remote area. Um, And so it's it's not as um, pronounced when she's in the village in Norway. Like, there are women there. But when she's in Alaska, there are, you know, she, like, she has a relationship with a guy. I should have trigger warning this at the beginning. Um, so trigger warning for sexual assault. Um, she has a relationship with one of the other dog sled drivers that turns really, like, horrible and awful. Um, and, like, so you're watching her overcome that and also survive living on a glacier in Alaska where you have to do things like put sunscreen up your nose because the like the sun reflects off the snow into your nostrils and you get sunburned up your nose. What? <laughs> I can't. I do can't. not want. I know. Why would you? Why? And the things that they have, like, the, the parts about the dog sledding were really interesting, the things that you have to do to, like, care for those kinds of dogs. And they were, like, nothing at all, like... Like my do- like d- domesticated dogs that people who don't live in Alaska have to deal with. Anyway, it's just fascinating. I am so not at all personally interested ever in being that cold in my life. But like reading about someone else vicariously doing it and working out their corner life problems on a glacier, I am here for. So it's really, really great. I listened to this on audio and the, um, the author reads the audiobook and I really liked it. She's a great narrator. So that's Welcome to the Goddamn Ice Cube. I'm just saying it now. Whatever. By Blair Braverman. <laughs> Uh, All right, let's see. Our next question is from Steph, who says, I'm looking for your thoughts slash recommendations on the Read Harder Challenge task of classic of genre fiction. I was thinking of doubling up on this task and picking Oprah's book club pick. Oh, I was thinking of doubling up on this task and the Oprah's book club pick task and using I Know This Much is True by Wally Lamb. Would it count for a classic? Do you have any other recommendations for this task? So I don't actually think I Know This Much is True is a genre classic, honestly. Um, but I'm I, we're going to drop a link to the um, post that went up on the site that is a whole post just about this task. And then I do have a double up for you. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
I picked for you 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, translated by Gregory Rabassa, which is a classic of the magical realism genre and a former Oprah book club book pick. Bam. So if you if you haven't heard through some magic of 100 Years of Solitude, I will tell you a little bit about it. Um, Marquez is a Colombian author. And this is a just like sweeping multi-generational novel about five uh, generations of the Buendia family who found a town called Macondo. Um, it's a fictionalized version of this town in Colombia. And it is just... Oh, this book. Like, I have a lot of heart feels about this book. I read it as a teenager, and it just kind of knocked my brain out of my skull. Um, it is It is magical realism, so things that, like would not happen in the normal course of a day. For example, like a young woman flying away with her laundry that has gotten off of the laundry line uh, just kind of happen. And everybody's like, yep, that's how life works. Like, that's fine. No big, nothing to see here. Move along. <laughs> um, it's also very in touch with the political history of Colombia. So, for example, there is a massacre that occurs that is covered up by the government. And I, I like when I was researching it, it's based on a thing that happened in Colombia in history. Um, but really what you're focusing on is these these different generations of the Buendias. And they repeat certain names throughout the generations, which is both really interesting and also occasionally confusing. Um, there is a family tree in the front of the book, and I did use it regularly. Mm -hmm, so it's same. not, right? Like, it, you're like, okay, which Ursula is this that we're mm -hmm. talking about now? Like, which one is it? Um, but it's just so... Yeah, it's just so immersive, and, and it, it really is an amazing book, and you can see why it is a classic of the genre. So I think that would be a good one if you're trying to double up and, and you just want one book. This one is one I, I just I love. So that's 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Okay, my pick is not going to allow you to double up, but it is a classic of genre fiction. I went with Dune by Frank Herbert, which is a classic of sci-fi. Um, it was written in 1965, or published in 1965 anyway. I don't know when he wrote it. Um, but this is like a foundational science fiction series. Uh, there are six books, I think, in the series. Not all of them are written by him, though. Some of them are written by his son later. But the ones that are written by him are all great. Um, and so this is like a sprawling epic of like... I don't interstellar planetary shenanigans, basically. So, um, yeah, there are planetary dynasties. There's an, uh, an overarching empire in this like political system. And the main character, Paul is a young boy when the first book opens and he is the heir to the Duke, uh, Atreides, who is like the, the Duke of the house of Atreides. So there, it's like a, a, you know, game of Thrones style house system where all of these houses are, controlled by ruling families and then all of the families pay homage to like the emperor and so his family um paul and his father and his mother have been given control of a desert planet called arrakis which is like a backwater nothing planet except for the fact that it's the only source in the universe of the spice uh, what they call the spice which is uh the name for melange which is this like substance that's created by giant sandworms um that allows humanity and other alien races to to um like fold space and travel through like uh worm tunnels i, I guess i'm or the, what do they call them wormholes i don't remember that i haven't read it in a bit so i don't remember the names but it, it's the the spice is the substance that allows um interstellar travel 
So without it, this empire and the known universe would functionally collapse. So now his family has control of this thing. And other families are trying to wrest control of the planet from him and his family. There's uh, like immediate betrayals, lots of killing. There's also the Bene Gesserit, which is her just my favorite bizarre um, like power structure in science fiction. The Bene Gesserit are like this order of political witch nuns, basically, yes. <laughs> that kind of secretly run the entire universe behind the empire, the emperor's back. It's amazing. It's just complicated. Like, Frank Herbert is considering every soft science you can, religion and politics and, and you know, um, man's ecological effects on our, our surroundings, just everything you can possibly imagine. He somehow puts in this book, but it's not overly long. Like, it doesn't feel stuffed. It just feels good. Like, you are in the hands of a very capable and thoughtful um, writer. And the universe is interesting and well-imagined, and it's just great. Like, it's a classic for a reason. I love it. So Dune by Frank Herbert is my recommendation for you. Okay. Um, question four is from Danielle, who says, I'm looking for novels about things like conspiracy theories or secret societies and such, kind of like the Da Vinci Code, but well-written. I tried The Name of the Rose, but found it too dry, and I also did not like Rabbit Back Literature Society. I read and enjoyed all of Marisha Pessel's books and Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore. The Dante Club is on my TBR. Okay, um, I went with The Secret History for this one because you didn't mention it. I don't think I've ever actually recommended The Secret History on this show. Uh, by, it's by Donna Tart. I think we have answered a lot of questions about read-alikes for The Secret History, but I don't think I've ever actually gotten a chance to recommend it, so I jumped on it. Um, so this it takes place in a New England college town on a, new, like a, you know, a small, quirky New England um, university campus. And it's focused on this group of kids who are all studying um, the Greek classics together. Uh, and so they are kind of functionally their own weird little secret society. At the opening of the book, one of them is murdered by the others. And so you spend the rest of the book, like that's page one. So you spend the rest of the book knowing that this murder has taken place but not knowing why so much or like how it comes to be or which one of the people in the group are like personally responsible for the murder. Um, and so it's, it's very much you, it has a group of main characters. Like you're following all of these kids through this thing that's happening and how they got there. But the actual, like the um, perspective that you're most with, is it Richard? I don't remember his name, but it's one of the, the guys and he's poor Um and he goes to this school where all of these other kids are rich. So he's got a really interesting perspective of like stumbling into this group of friends who were all friends before he got there um, and who are all kind of super wealthy and have their own weird insular relationship. So he's a bit of an observer. And through his eyes, you get to see how they all become really obsessive about their studies and about each other to the point that it leads to this horrifying homicide in the woods when they're all drunk because of weird Greek reasons. Like it's just so odd, but it's so well written and like it's, it feels so suffocating. You know, it's not a secret society in the, the Da Vinci code sort of um, Knights of the Templar sort of way, but it also kind of is, it's very like a fraternity, like a college secret society is more what it feels like, even if it's not officially one, um, they ha they isolate themselves so much. The, the, this like group of nerdy friends <laughs> isolate themselves so much from the other students and from the outside world, um, and are all 
also isolated just by the nature of like this tiny little college town where it's freezing cold and no one goes anywhere and does anything. And so there's nothing to do except get drunk and study and become obsessed with Greek gods. <laughs> and so they do. And then bad things happen. It's just so good. <laughs> so that's The Secret History by Donna Tart. Yeah, it is a good one. I was told to read it in the winter, and I recommend that as a reading experience. It's a good winter read. Um, okay, my pick for you is Labyrinth by Kate Moss, which is kind of like a literary Da Vinci Code, but with ladies. So if that sounds interesting to you, I'm not quite done with this one yet. I picked it up specifically for this question, but I am enjoying it. Um, it takes place in two timelines. The first is sort of a modern day, well, modern for when it was written. It was like published in the early aughts. Um, So modern day uh, in the Pyrenees Mountains, there is a young woman named Alice who's a volunteer at an archaeological dig. Um, And she like is sort of off on her own puttering around this boulder and finds a cave. And in this cave are two crumbling skeletons and like weird writings on the wall. And there's like a knife and a ring. And there's a big pattern of a labyrinth on the cave wall. And then the other uh, section takes place 800 years earlier in like the 1200s um, in France. And it is a young woman named Alaïse, which is like the oldie French version of Alice, uh, uh, gets given a ring and a mysterious book by her father, who is in this secret society. And it's like a grail mystery. um, And it involves the Cathars, which are this heretic group in uh, the 1200s that the Pope actually sent other Christians on a crusade against these, like this sect of Christianity in France. Like this is, that's real history. That really did happen. Uh, And so Kate Moss has taken that incident as her inspiration for this book. So there's like reincarnation and like a grail mystery and labyrinths. And, you know, in the modern day, Alice finds herself on the run. Like the police have been interfered with and they want to talk to her and they want to know what she knows, but she doesn't know anything. So now she has to figure it out. Um, And then Alaïs is also on the run in like oldie time France. And it's very... It's very satisfying. (laughs) There's actually a point at which the oldie time Alice pulls out a sword. And it has not been explained to me yet, like, why a 12th century or, like, a 1200s young woman would have a sword. But I'm, like, on board with it anyway. Like, it's fine. I don't really care because I just want to know, like, how they're going to win and who's got the grail. Like, that's that's how, you know, sort of page-turnery this is. But Kate Moss is a very good writer. Um, it, it moves along nicely, but it feels like you're not reading, like... Well, I, I'm a fan of Total Fluff, but this doesn't feel like Total Fluff. So if you're looking for a more literary reading experience, I think you will find it here. So, and this is the first in a series. Um, and apparently there has been a mini series adaptation so if you want to watch it too you can do that uh so that's labyrinth by kate moss okay before we get on to our next question we're going to talk about our second sponsor which is us yay Mm. it is our library cart giveaway this giveaway is so rad y'all so we are giving away a library cart like i just said that and i'm saying it again like one of those rolly carts that you see libraries using to shelve books and stuff you need one for your house you do i would love one and you get to pick your favorite color um amazon has these in almost every color imaginable, including bright yellow, which is the one that I want uh, myself. And so we're running this giveaway until February 5th, so you've still got a few days to enter. And it is um, running in promotion of our upcoming new newsletter called Check Your Shelf, which is going to be library resource focused. It's gonna be written 
by Kelly Jensen, who is uh, a former librarian, and Katie McLean, who is a current public librarian. And they're going to be putting together links and news and um, readers' advisory resources for librarians and sending out that bi-weekly. You do not need to be a librarian to sign up for the newsletter, obviously, if you are interested in libraries at all or just want to enter to win the library card. That's fine. So we will leave a link to the giveaway in the show notes, or you can just go to bookriot.com slash giveaways, and it is right there on that page, and you can enter that until February 5th. So good luck. All right. Question five is from Stacy, who says, I love nonfiction audiobooks, but I have trouble finding new ones to listen to. My favorites are The Gene and the Emperor of All Maladies by Siddhartha Mukherjee, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, Quiet, The Power of Introverts, Grit by Angela Duckworth, and The End of Average by Todd Rose. I am just not sure where to go from here. I have Isaac Storm and When Breath Becomes Air on my TBR. Um, So I don't audiobook, but I double-checked my pick with our contributor, uh, Ashley Holstrom, who does, and she has co-signed it. Uh, It's Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates, which is read by the author, and she said it is an excellent listening experience. And this is a memoir that I just feel like everybody should read slash listen to. So this is a book about being a black man, specifically a black man in America. Um, Coates wrote it as a letter to his son. And he is thinking about all kinds of things. Um, He's thinking about his own growing up experience. Uh, He's thinking about going to Howard University, which is a historically black college. He's thinking about history, so the Civil War, Um, and he's also thinking about his position internationally uh, because he did travel to Paris, for example. So there's a lot of different sort of mental threads that he's juggling. Um, So it it does sort of feel like a collection of essays or letters rather than one cohesive memoir, but it works really well, and it is an incredibly powerful read. Um, It is just such an important book uh, in modern society. Like, I don't know what else to say aside from that this book is important. Um, and and really well written. He's, an, he's really so good at getting thoughts out of his head onto paper in a way that makes them feel present and profound and insightful. So that is Between the World and Me by Todd Nahazi Coates. Okay, I picked a book I just finished on audio called The Earth Moved by Amy Stewart, which is about Earthworms. Yeah, I love her. (laughs) I know. She picks the most just random topics, and I love it so much. And you did not know that you wanted a whole book about earthworms, but you absolutely do. So uh, it covers a lot of of different uh, aspects of earthworm science. She starts with Darwin, who later in his life um, published a really meticulous study of earthworms and was the first person to realize that worms probably had a, like a consciousness and weren't and and like made choices like ha- had enough of a mental capacity I guess to um, evaluate uh, choices and think about them um, which was kind of revolutionary at that time and he so she hops from Darwin to like current studies of earthworms and their migration um, they were brought they're not indigenous to the U.S. so they were brought here on you know wagon wheels and horse hooves and boots of invaders and colonizers and things like that um, and are actually pretty harmful to diff- to a lot of different um, ecosystems, which I did not know when I when I started listening to this book. I thought that earthworms were, you know, kind of like great for the soil and good for your garden and all of that is true, but they're like terrible for forests and can actually like decimate um, a forest ecosystem, uh, especially when they're combined with like deer and things like that. Uh, and she also <laughs> talks about 
her own worms. Like she, this is how she got interested in writing this book is that she has a worm compost bin on her porch and just found, found their behavior very interesting. And so she did like a deep dive into worm life. Um, there is a section at the end of the book about worm composting, if that's like a thing you're into. Uh, and, oh, oh, and she talks about, oh, gross. Like these, there are giant earth earthworms. I did not know this. And this was my big takeaway. And the thing that I like what? texted to all of my friends. Yes, there are giant earthworms, both uh, in the Pacific Northwest and in Australia that can stretch up to 10 feet long and are so big that when I know when they're moving under the ground, you can hear them like, no. uh, And apparently the like gross mucusy stuff that they leave behind in their burrow smells like lilacs. And this is the thing. Giant earthworms smell like flowers and Australian farmers can hear them moving under the ground. Like they make a weird crunching nope. sound. It's just. No. Just I, no. Now I have to go watch Tremors. Like it's yes. just. What? We were talking about sandworms earlier. <laughs> yeah, this is just the worm episode. Don't know why. So that's The Earth Moved but on the Remarkable Achievements of Earthworms by Amy Stewart, who also, I'm pretty sure, narrates um, the audiobook. And it's great. Okay, is it me? Yes. Question six is from Brittany, who says, your recommendations fuel my never-ending TBR list and brings me so much joy. I would love to hear your thoughts on cozy mysteries. I'm in grad school right now for occupational therapy, so these lighthearted stories, aside from murder and deception, seem like something that I could really get into to distract me from my persistent neurofatigue. This is a new genre that I've delved into recently, specifically the Magic Potion Mystery Series by Heather Blake. I love the aspects of the small town that's depicted in the series and the quirky characters. Are there any specific cozy mystery series that you love? I think I stared at the shelf in the mystery section of the bookstore for a solid hour before I settled on Heather Blake's series. Okay, um, I think I talked about this series on the last episode also, but I'm just rolling on because I loved it so much. It's the Veronica Speedwell series by Deanna Rayborn. The first book is called A Curious Beginning. And I... I'm unsure if this would qualify as a strictly cozy mystery because it's historical. It takes place during the Victorian era in London. Um, But she, in in my brain, a cozy mystery is an amateur uh, crime solver, like not a cop, not in law enforcement, that wherein the mystery is not overtly violent. And that is very much this. Veronica, uh, the main character, is a lepidologist. I'm probably saying that wrong. Lepa, I don't remember. She studies butterflies. Uh, Lepidopterist. Thank you. Um, she's a butterfly scientist in the Victorian England, um, and she's solving a mystery, but it's not super violent. Like there's not a lot of blood, and she is certainly not in law enforcement. So in my brain, it qualifies. Um, so after her spinster aunt dies, Veronica is on her own. She's a young woman, um, and she's independent. She's got her own kind of financial means that she has built up as a butterfly scientist. She captures rare specimens and sells them to collectors So she, uh, while she's doing her studies. She travels a lot. Um, she's also kind of a blue stocking. Like, she's very independent. She has radical ideas about feminism for the time period. And uh, when after she comes home from the funeral of her aunt, she walks into someone breaking into her house. And she thinks that someone is trying to rob her. Um, but then he tries to, like, kidnap her. And she's saved by this very debonair older German baron uh, gentleman who stops her from being kidnapped and tells her that her life is in danger and she has to travel with him to London so she can be saved. And she's like, what? (laughs) Like, no one has ever tried to hurt me before. This guy was just breaking into my house. I am a nobody. Like, I'm just a lady who likes butterflies. Why are you talking to me? But she needs a ride out of of her town. So she decides to go with him because, like, convenience. Um, And when she gets there, he leaves her with a friend of his uh, named Stoker. 
uh, for safekeeping while he runs off to, to, you know, solve a few things. While he's gone, he's murdered. And so she's stuck with this guy, Stoker, who's a very bad-tempered scientist like her. Um, and they team up together to solve the mystery of who killed the Baron, who she has kind of developed an affection for and who was one of Stoker's best friends. Uh, and while that is happening, you're also solving the mystery of who Veronica actually is and why people are after her in the first place. Um, so it's got a lot of elements of cozy mystery. A lot of cozies have, like, um, kind of random supernatural elements in them. This does not have that, but it does have a traveling circus. So <laughs> there you go. So go check that out. The third book just came out uh, in the series. So if you like this one, you can continue on. That's A Curious Beginning by Deanna Rayborn. I took this to the contributors because I couldn't, I, I wanted specifically to find you one with a supernatural element and I couldn't think of any. Um, and Sarah Nicholas recommended Aunt Dimity's Death, which is the first in the Aunt Dimity mystery series. And it sounds like so much fun. So in this first one, um, there is uh, the main character, Lori Shepard, grew up on Bedtime Stories told by her mom about a woman named Aunt Dimity um, who's like, you know, a spinster who has extraordinary adventures. Um, and she just thought these were stories that her mother was telling her. But then uh, her mother dies. Um, she like gets divorced. It's bad. She's like living in Boston, has no money. And she gets a letter from a lawyer saying that she has been left like stuff from an actual person named Aunt Dimity. <laughs> like, this is a real person um, who put Lori in her will. And so like to get the money, Lori has to go to the woman's estate and do an introduction to a proposed book of the stories. But the twist is, is that the neighbors all believe that this estate is haunted and in the meantime, there's, like, this lawyer involved who, like, is, like, following her around with, like, stars in his eyes. Um, and then, on top of it all, she has a letter from her mother, who, remember, is dead. Like, it's a posthumous letter telling Lori to, like, look into Dimity's life. So there's all of these weird, like, what is going on here? Uh, things going on. And what's interesting about this series is that the through line is actually the ghost of Aunt Dimity. Like, the... the, the, the <laughs> The character that ties the whole series together is the ghost. So I think this sounds super duper fun. Um, I can't wait to crack into them. I put a hold on it at the library. And this sounds like it would be perfect for like grad school neuro fatigue to me. So that is the Aunt Dimity's, or excuse me, the Aunt Dimity series. The first one is Aunt Dimity's Death by Nancy Atherton. Okay. So our last question is from M who says, I am the solo mom of a beautiful toddler who is both American and African. Her father is from Ethiopia, where I used to live. Do you know of any books that talk about raising strong, proud, biracial, or bicultural children? Thanks in advance. I'm just going to keep talking. Um, I picked for you a picture book that you could read with your toddler. It's Marisol McDonald Doesn't Match. There is also a Spanish edition, if anybody is interested in that. It is by Monica Brown and illustrated by Sarah Palacios. And it is about Marisol McDonald, who is biracial. She has red hair and brown skin. She likes polka dots and stripes. She likes peanut butter and jelly burritos. Um, she likes to play soccer and be a pirate princess. Like she is living a mismatched life that makes perfect sense to her, but other people don't understand. So it is a book about trying to like not 
worry about not fitting in when other people don't understand who you are or what you like. Um, and the author, Monica Brown, is a Peruvian, European, Jewish, American, Indian. Like, she herself is a multiracial person. Um, and so she is writing from experience. And I just, I love the art of this book. Sarah Palacios is a great illustrator. I love the message. Um, I just think this is a fantastic picture book that more people should know about. So that's Marisol McDonald Doesn't Match uh, by Monica Brown and Sarah Palacios. Okay. I have a, also a picture book for you um, I, for the same reasons so you could read it with your child. Uh, it's called My Two Grannies, and it's by Floella Benjamin and illustrated by Margaret Chamberlain. And it's about a little girl named Elvina who lives in London, and her parents are going on vacation, so both of her grandmothers are coming to look after her. Uh, her grandmother, Vero, is from Trinidad, and her grandmother, Rose, is from England. And so when the two grannies come together to take care of her, they, they don't get along. There's arguing. They have very different ideas about what to feed her, how they should play, what kind of games they should play, what kind of stories are appropriate to tell to her. And then the grannies get angrier and more irate <laughs> with each other and start fighting. Um, and so Alvina devises a little plan of her own um, to bring them together. And it's just a really cute, like, it's just cute. <laughs> like, it's a really cute story about two adults who can't get their stuff together like long enough to take care of this small child. So the kid kind of takes things into her own hands, um, you know, and it's a great, um, I don't want to say lesson because uh, that makes me, I'm like allergic to that idea in children's books <laughs> for some reason. Um, but yeah, you know, it's about tolerance and understanding and loving your family, no matter what, what it looks like and embracing your differences in your own family uh, in order to like enrich your family life. So it's really, really sweet. It's, uh, it takes place, you know, like I said, in the UK, it's not about an, a kid who's American, but I think the themes are pretty universal. So that's My Two Grannies by Floella Benjamin and illustrated by Margaret Chamberlain. And that is our show. Hooray. Huzzah. <laughs> Punctuated huzzah. And hoorays. <laughs> Thank you all for so much for listening to our show. If you like the show, please go leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes it easier for other people to find when they're searching for it. Thank you so much to our sponsors for making our shows possible. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram mostly these days uh, at I'm Amanda Nelson. And Jen? Uh, yes, I am on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that is Jen with two N's. And we will talk to you all next week.